Chapter One of The Romantic Adventures of a Milkmaid. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Alison Valdes. The Romantic Adventures of a Milkmaid by Thomas Hardy. Chapter One. It was half-past four o'clock, by the testimony of the land-surveyor, my authority for the particulars of this story, a gentleman with the faintest curve of humour on his lips. It was half-past four o'clock on a May morning, in the eighteen-forties. A dense white fog hung over the valley of the X, ending against the hills on either side. But though nothing in the vale could be seen from higher ground, Notes of different kinds gave pretty clear indications that bustling life was going on there. This audible presence and visual absence of an active scene had a peculiar effect above the fog level. Nature had laid a white hand over the creatures ensconced within the veil, as a hand might be laid over a nest of chirping birds. The noises that ascended through the pallid coverlid were perturbed lowings, mingled with human voices in sharps and flats, and the bark of a dog. These, followed by the slamming of a gate, explained, as well as eyesight could have done, to any inhabitant of the district, that Dairyman Tucker's under-milker was driving the cows from the meads into the stalls. When a rougher accent joined in the vociferations of man and beast, it would have been realised that the dairy-farmer himself had come out to meet the cows, pale in hand, and white pinafore on, and when, moreover, some women's voices joined in the chorus, that the cows were stalled, and proceedings about to commence. A hush followed, the atmosphere being so stagnant that the milk could be heard buzzing into the pails, together with occasional words of the milkmaids and men. "'Don't ye abide about long on the, upon the road, Marjorie?' "'You can be back again by skimming time.' The rough voice of Derriman Tucker was the vehicle of this remark. The barton gate slammed again, and in two or three minutes a something became visible, rising out of the fog in that quarter. The shape revealed itself as that of a woman having a young and agile gait. The colours and other details of her dress were then disclosed. A bright pink cotton frock, because winter was over, a small woollen shawl of shepherd's plaid, because summer was not come, a white handkerchief tied over her headgear, because it was so foggy, so damp, and so early, and a straw bonnet and ribbons peeping from under the handkerchief, because it was likely to be a sunny May day. Her face was of the hereditary type among families down in these parts, sweet in expression, perfect in hue, and somewhat irregular in feature. Her eyes were of a liquid brown, on her arm she carried a withy basket, in which lay several butter-rolls in a nest of wet cabbage-leaves. She was the Marjorie who had been told not to bide about long upon the road. She went on her way across the fields, sometimes above the fog, sometimes below it, not much perplexed by its presence, except when the track was so indefinite that it ceased to be a guide to the next stile. The dampness was such that innumerable earthworms lay in couples across the path, till, startled even by her light tread, they withdrew suddenly into their holes. She kept clear of all trees. Why was that? There was no danger of lightning on such morning as this. Though the roads were dry, the fog had gathered in the boughs, 
causing them to set up such a dripping as would go clean through the protecting handkerchief like bullets, and spoil the ribbons beneath. The beech and ash were particularly shunned, for they dripped more maliciously than any. There was an instance of woman's keen appreciativeness of nature's moods and peculiarities. A man crossing those fields might hardly have perceived that the trees dripped at all. In less than an hour she had traversed a distance of four miles, and arrived at a latticed cottage in a secluded spot. An elderly woman, scarce awake, answered her knocking. Marjorie delivered up the butter, and said, "'How is Granny this morning? I can't stay to go up to her, but tell her I have returned what we owed her.' Her grandmother was no worse than usual, and receiving back the empty basket, the girl proceeded to carry out some intention which had not been included in her orders. Instead of returning to the light labours of skimming-time, she hastened on, her direction being towards a little neighbouring town. Before, however, Marjorie had proceeded far, she met the postman, laden to the neck with letter-bags, of which he had not yet deposited one. "'Are the shops open yet, Samuel?' she said. "'Oh, no,' replied that stooping pedestrian, not waiting to stand upright. "'They won't be open yet this hour, except the saddler and ironmonger, and little tacker-haired machine-man for the farm-folk. They downs their shutters at half-past six, then the bakers at half-past seven, then the drapers at eight. Oh, the drapers at eight! It was plain that Marjorie had wanted the drapers. The postman turned up a side-path, and the young girl, as though deciding within herself that if she could not go shopping at once she might as well get back for the skimming, retraced her steps. The public road home from the point was easy, but devious. By far the nearest way was getting over a fence, and crossing the private grounds of a picturesque old country-house, whose chimneys were just visible through the trees. As the house had been shut up for many months, the girl decided to take the straight cut. She pushed her way through the laurel-bushes, sheltering her bonnet with the shawl as an additional safeguard, scrambled over an inner boundary, went along through more shrubberies, and stood ready to emerge upon the open lawn. Before doing so she looked around in the wary manner of a poacher. It was not the first time that she had broken fence in her life, but somehow, and all of a sudden, she had felt herself too near womanhood to indulge in such practices with freedom. However, she moved forth, and the house-front stared her in the face, at this higher level, unobscured by fog. It was a building of the medium size, and unpretending, the façade being of stone, and of the Italian elevation made familiar by Inigo Jones and his school. There was a doorway to the lawn, standing at the head of a flight of steps. The shutters of the house were closed, and the blinds of the bedrooms drawn down. Her perception of the fact that no crusty caretaker could see her from the windows led her at once to slacken her pace, and stroll through the flower-beds coolly. A house unblinded is a possible spy, and must be treated accordingly. A house with the shutters together is an insensate heap of stone and mortar, to be faced with indifference. On the other side of the house the green sward rose to an eminence, whereon stood one of those curious summer shelters, sometimes erected on exposed points of view, called an all-the-year-round. In the present case it consisted of four walls radiating from a centre like the arms of a turnstile, with seats in each angle, so that whensoever the wind came, it was always possible to find a screened corner from which to observe the landscape. The milkmaid's trackless course led her up the hill and past this erection. 
at ease as to being watched and scolded as an intruder, her mind flew to other matters, till, at the moment when she was not a yard from the shelter, she heard a foot or feet scraping on the gravel below. Someone was in the all the year round, apparently occupying the seat on the other side, as was proved when, on turning, she saw an elbow, a man's elbow, projecting over the edge. Now, the young woman did not much like the idea of going down the hill under the eyes of this person, which she would have to do if she went on, for as an intruder she was liable to be called back and questioned upon her business there. Accordingly, she crept softly up, and sat in the seat behind, intending to remain there until her companion should leave. This he by no means seemed in a hurry to do. What could possibly have brought him there? What could detain him there at six o'clock? on a morning of mist, where there was nothing to be seen or enjoyed of the veil beneath, puzzled her not a little. But he remained quite still, and Marjorie grew impatient. She discerned the track of his feet in the dewy grass, forming a line from the house-steps, which announced that he was an inhabitant and not a chance passer-by. At last she peeped round. End of chapter 1